Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. So another garbage week in news headlines. Um, Prepare yourselves. Let's start with the least offensive, which is that um, another actor has decided to be out of work rather than receive a COVID vaccine. This time it's uh, Andrea Bordeaux, who I had never heard of until this story broke. I'd also never heard of the show that she was fired from until this news broke. And it's it's on Stars. It's called Run the World. And they're in production or about to start production, not sure which, of season two. Um, which, like, honestly, I get Stars. So the fact that I haven't heard about this show, like, ooh, okay. Uh, but regardless... So she is one of the stars, I believe one of the central cast members of season one and Lionsgate Television, which produces the show, has a policy that everyone on production must be vaccinated against COVID, which in case you're not paying attention is where the world is headed. That it's just easier to try to make sure everyone is vaccinated against COVID than to try to work with the few people who do not want to get vaccinated. It's just what it is. It costs time and lots of money to work around vaccinations. And in this case, Lionsgate was like, you know, you're the only one. So rather than, as she said, they never came to a workable solution or never offered one, they just fired her. Good for them, you know, because the workable solution would have been that like maybe she gets tested on a weekly basis, which is not a great indicator (laughs) and is not all that um, conducive to keeping people actually healthy. Um, like I I am teaching at a college at the moment where you either must be vaccinated or submit to weekly testing. And it makes me nervous because my class is on Monday and the only days people can get tested are Wednesday and Thursday. So like, okay, you tested negative on Thursday and then had a whole ass weekend. What did you do over the weekend? You could be spreading this shit on my Monday morning and then not find out you're positive until Wednesday or Thursday. Like, it's just not a great indicator for, or it's not, it's not the best way to prevent the spread of COVID unless you're being tested like every single day, which if they are, then Lionsgate would have been spending a lot of money on testing for one person. So it was just easier for them in the end to say bye-bye to Andrea Bordeaux, whoever that is. So also, next story, um, The Masked Singer. This is a major spoiler, by the way, but it's been picked up, like, even by CNN and stuff. But this is a major spoiler for the upcoming unaired season of The Masked Singer. Now, this is the first unmasking, and we don't know if this is episode one or how they're doing it. They're split into three groups this season, so this could be, like, episode one of the whole season, or it could be like the first episode of whatever group this person is in. But the first unmasking that was filmed was... Fucking Rudy Giuliani. And guys, like, okay. First of all, Ken Jeong and Robin Thicke walked off in protest when Rudy was unmasked. And I do not blame them. Because this show, I think I've talked about this on the podcast previously, has become a place where these, like, quirky, awful right-wing people have been able to come and like make themselves seem fun and accessible, kind of like Dancing with the Stars. And I hate that. 
like Sarah Palin was on this a couple years ago and she was like dancing to baby got back in a teddy bear costume and it made her seem very innocent which she is not currently she is in the news lot for spreading COVID all over New York City because even though she tested positive and is unvaccinated she's somehow getting into restaurants all over the city regardless um and then like this past season was a real shit show of like Rob Schneider who is anti-vax and gets to be on TV being like, oh, remember how funny Rob Schneider used to be? And one of the Duck Dynasty Robertsons, who I don't know if you remember them from back in the day on A&E. I stopped watching A&E altogether in protest over the way that they used to talk about gay people. Um, and it's just, it's Larry the Cable Guy. Like, they just have some not great people. Caitlin fucking Jenner, who basically used her appearance on The Masked Singer to launch a bid to for California governor. Like, it's just... They are giving platforms to some really terrible people on this show and Dancing with the Stars did the same thing. You know, like Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, was on after he lost the presidential nomination and he was like violently anti-gay, anti-Semitic. Um, you know, like he said that if you're a Christian who doesn't, if you don't accept Christ into your heart, you're going to hell. He said that while he was the governor of Texas and then got reelected. You know, he was like anti-science. He wanted to only teach creationism in schools. Like he's a fucking crazy person. And they had him on Dancing with the Stars, like up there making a fool of himself and looking funny and relatable. Sean Spicer, like they just do this so often on reality TV now. And like Rudy Giuliani is kind of like, for me at least, and apparently for Ken Jong and Robin Thicke, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like this man is under active investigation for treason related to the January 6th insurrection. Treason! And here he is dancing around in some cute, cuddly costume, being like, but I'm how scary can I possibly be? Look at how fun and silly I am. No. And I hope the show addresses this fucking head on. Like, I hope they show Robin and Ken walking off. I hope they call Rudy Giuliani a piece of shit asshole to his face. I hope they grill him. I hope they tell him he's awful. I hope we don't get fucking Nicole or Jenny being like, I'm so glad you're here. People can see a different side of you. I don't want any of that. And I hope they are not afraid to call out how awful this man is on The Masked Singer. It's, woo, God damn, what a story. And then to wrap it all up, the worst and biggest story of the week, which I don't know, oh, I don't know how much of this you probably have already heard. Um, okay, so Whoopi Goldberg, was suspended this week from The View for two weeks for what was perceived by some as anti-Semitic comments. I did not perceive it that way, um, but I am not Jewish, so I don't get to say what's anti-Semitic and what's not, I guess. But um, she basically said during the week of Holocaust Remembrance Day that um, Hitler did not kill and imprison people based on race. That the Holocaust was not about race, it was about man's inhumanity toward man. She later apologized for this and clarified what she meant, and I think we all know what she meant. She was using race and skin color interchangeably, and that's not really up for debate. It's not really up for debate that, like, Jewish people are predominantly and majorly, within the bounds of skin color, white. And this is 
it's a really big complex issue that I am not qualified to have the answer for that requires discussion and analysis and conversation. And clearly the view was not interested in that because rather than using this as a moment to educate and to have that conversation, um, they decided to suspend Whoopi and for two weeks. So to just not have her on the view for two weeks. Now, like I said, we, I know that Whoopi meant skin color, that if this were an event based on skin color, it wouldn't have happened, right? That like, because Jews, especially in Europe and Germany in the 1940s were white. They were, a, they were be classified as white. Now, when we are filling out the U.S. census and ask us our race, we get five choices. We get white, African-American, Hispanic or Latino, um, Asian Pacific Islander and Asian South, Southeast Asian, something like that. Those are, or other, or we can self-identify. Those are our options. So we are used to defining race in America based on skin color. Look at the news, look at what's happening. We define race based on skin color here in America for the most part. Um, so in that aspect, I know what will be meant. And in that aspect, she's also not wrong, right? Um, and the reason I know that Whoopi meant that, one, because she clarified on air, two, is that I know that Whoopi knows that this was not just, the Holocaust was not just against, did not just result in the imprisonment and murder and genocide of Jews. It was also gypsies, self-identified, that is not a pejorative, um, gay, lesbian, and trans people, um, and trans umbrella people, like, Drag queens are a part of this. Um, Cross-dressing is a part of this. And other groups. So it was not just based on religion either. It was majorly based on religion. Like, I'm not going to argue that the most obvious and the most virulent part of the Holocaust was based on uh, anti-Semitism. Um, but rather than, like, use this moment to educate people on what the Holocaust was and the toll that it took and what race is and how different people define race. Because like I said, on the census, race is one thing, but the Anti-Defamation League um, came out and said that it was based on race, that Jewish, that Ju Judaism, sorry, <laughs> that Judaism is a race and that Jewish people consider themselves a race of people. They're not wrong for defining themselves in that way. Because part of this conversation is how we define race. Race is, it's a broad term that means something different to different people and different groups of people. So like, for example, you can think of race anthropologically and biologically. We've moved away from that majorly in the past 20 to 30 years, but you can still do that. And in which case, like that's part of the census, right? Is that race can be defined biologically, anthropo anthropologically as like genetic traits and shared like physical features and in that case, there's, I think, nine races. And it's, um, let me try to find it really quick. Because I do, I do teach a unit, or I used to teach a unit on this, like of how we are redefining race now. And we need to start using ethnicity rather than race because our definition of race is cannot include things that, ra that we think of race actually being. Regardless, anthropologically, scientifically, um, there are nine races, African, Native American, Asian, Australasian Aborigine, Indian, Melanesian, Micronesian, Polynesian, and European, or white. In, even in those nine, the Jewish people of, that were mostly affected by the Holocaust in Europe would be European or white. 
So in that definition, Whoopi is also not wrong. But the problem with all of these definitions, with like only seeing race as skin color, only seeing race as biological, is that race is also cultural and social. And that race is socially constructed in a lot of the same ways that gender is socially constructed. That what we think of as quote unquote race is goes beyond skin color. It goes to a shared experience. It goes to a cultural understanding of what it means to be that race. So for example, um, what we think of as race in the census is African-American or black, right? That is, there is no scientific version of that. The scientific version of that is just African. But anyone who has lived and grown up exclusively in America does not have the experience of race, of blackness in America that someone who has experienced of blackness in Africa has, even though that would be the same definition of race in under these nine definitions of race or these nine classifications of race that I just went over. So race is social and political and cultural as well. And that's why it's not wrong for the head of the Anti-Defamation League to consider Judaism a race, because it is a group of people with a shared history, a shared cultural understanding, a shared set of values and beliefs and um, cultural milestones and celebrations. And that does make up one's racial understanding of one's identity. But that is not everyone's definition of race. Like I said, if your definition of race is based on what you fill out on the census, then that then you're on, then that's what Whoopi's going for, right? That's what Whoopi was saying, is that when she's thinking of race, she's thinking of it as skin color or as some shared biological, perhaps scientific genetic um, classification, right? But that's not what, that's one, not necessarily what she meant and also not necessarily what um, race can be defined as. And rather than have this conversation, rather than use it to educate people, because let's not fucking forget, The View is reaching people every day on ABC in parts of this country who believe and or were taught that the Holocaust did not even happen. That's a thing that is going through the world right now. Holocaust denying is a thing that is happening. So there are probably people watching The View who don't even acknowledge the Holocaust fucking happened. Rather than using this to educate Whoopi and others, maybe like have her go to the Holocaust Museum or something and take the view cameras and talk about how what the Holocaust was, how Judaism can be part of a race, how race in general, even these definitions that Whoopi and maybe the census and others hold of race as skin color still are applicable to the Holocaust, then that would be more helpful that I feel like would be a good thing to do in this regard. But instead, we're holding Whoopi, a black woman, to a higher standard and to a different standard than other people on television. Like I just talked about the fucking mass Singer having Rudy fucking Giuliani on. A man who is under investigation for treason, for trying to overthrow the literal U.S. government last year. Can you believe that was only a year ago? Jesus. He's unmasking as a, like a teddy bear or some shit on the mass singer and then Whoopi is apologizing and trying to learn why she, why why her misspeaking is harmful and instead is being taken off TV it makes no sense it doesn't make any sense where is reconciliation we're just punishing people at this point we're the snake eating its own tail 
on the liberal side of things. We say we want education. We say we want to do better and be better and learn. But then when we have people actively trying to do that, we silence them instead. It is infuriating. Look at how often Meghan McCain misspoke and then didn't apologize and didn't take it back and didn't try to learn from it. And she didn't get suspended. She got to go on spreading her hate and lies and shit. And then just got to quit because it got to be, because the hate got to be too much. Where's that energy for, like, not where's that energy? Like, why do we have a different energy for Whoopi? I talked about this last week with Jenny Wen on the Salt Lake City Housewives, that she got fired for her anti-Black Lives Matter and her anti- and her pro-police and her racist posts on Facebook. We didn't have that energy for Ramona and Countess Luann on this past season of New York Housewives. Why do we hold Black women to a different standard than everyone else, than white people, white women in particular? Why? It's infuriating. And I just don't agree with this whole decision. I think that we should have used this as an opportunity to educate and to learn and to spread awareness. And Whoopi is very open to that, I think. I think she's demonstrated that in her time as on this panel on The View, that she is open to other people's viewpoints, that she is open to exploring new ways of thinking. And that's what The View is supposed to literally be, is exposing these differing viewpoints, not shutting them up. Especially in this case when there was an apology issue. Why then not allow that apology to turn into education and growth? That's what we per, that's what we say we want as left-leaning liberal, as Democrats, whatever you want to call us. That is what we say we want, is reconciliation, is education, is growth. Why then are we cutting that off at the knees and silencing people like Whoopi? I hate it. I hate it here. I hate it here. And I'm sorry, but it's not going to get much better in this episode, y'all, because I did not like a lot of what I watched this week. Maybe it's because the world is on fire once again, and I'm just in a bad mood in general, and I'm just watching TV through the lens of, I don't know, the garbage dumpster fire that is the world right now, and it's I'm just finding it hard to enjoy things, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the problem is, but I'm recapping RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world, and... I know that some people thought it was great TV. I thought it was the opposite. <laughs> I thought it was a new low for the Drag Race franchise because it actively is stifling the talent of the queens in favor of manufacturing drama, and I'm not about that life. But you can stay tuned for my very long and very full recap of that. And this is a long episode, so strap yourselves in. Let's dive right into it. Let's talk about RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world and this fucking boo-boo, booty bootleg bullshit piece of garbage show that we are currently getting. I said it. I did say it. It is terrible. Everything about this show is not good. The only good thing about the show is the cast. That's about it. Everything about the show is stupid and makes no sense and... We deserve so much better. The queens deserve so much better for the first iteration of what amounts to international all-stars. And we get this bootleg. I, I'm, I'm, 
I watched this like four days ago and I am still so mad at it. It's genuinely awful production wise. It is, I mean, I guess it's good TV because I've been thinking about it for four days, <laughs> almost nonstop in a way, <laughs> like at least three or four times a day. I'll remember what happened and be like, oh God, that was bullshit. So in that way, they made some good TV because they got me to think and talk about it. I'm talking about it to you all right now, but the actual show itself is not good. It is not well done. It is not thought out. There are no stakes. It's like that there's no, except to see these Queens, there's no impetus to watch this show. So for those of you who maybe did not watch or are not, um, you know, wow presents plus subscribers or just don't give a shit and just like to hear the sound of my voice. Um, Drag Race UK versus the world is international all-stars. So it's Queens from most of the uh, franchises that existed at the time this was uh, produced, which was over a year ago, I think at this point, or about a year ago at this point. Um, and it's, so it's one queen from Drag Race Holland, one queen from Drag Race Thailand, which is very interesting because like that, I feel like is the disowned franchise of Drag Race because like the, it had nothing to do with RuPaul at all. Like RuPaul doesn't do Italy or Spain or Holland, but at least like it's, they put that as part of like the Drag Race franchise. Thailand from what I can remember, does not do that. But regardless, so you have one queen from Thailand, one queen from Holland, two from Canada, two from US, and three from the UK. And the UK is the quote-unquote host country, host station. It's produced by BBC Three. And now we I've talked about this before. This is a problem with Drag Race UK is there's no stakes really like the winner of the uk drag race gets a show on wow presents plus which is not really a prize <laughs> and so they're doing it for pride they're doing it for uh exposure and they're doing it for fun so that can be good but like when you then bring in queens from other series that are used to prize money to not have a real prize is going to kind of diminish the whole thing it's not going to make it seem like it's that big of a deal. And then when you have queens that are spending what looks like more money than I will ever see in my life on their fashion, it makes it all feel so for nothing. It makes it feel cheap. It makes me, it makes me feel gross in a way to be like, they are throwing money away. They're burning money for this show. And why? Because the prize, quote unquote, of this show, as RuPaul tells us, is that the winning queen is going to duet on a song with RuPaul, which is what literally every season of Drag Race does. Read your rochu. Hey, since it's Christmas was just done on UK season three. You write a verse for a RuPaul song and she releases it for streaming. Like, what? that's not a prize. They usually make you do it under your contract. <laughs> it's so stupid. And then on top of that, they're not even going to get to split like streaming royalties or anything because the royalties are going to charities and the charities aren't even LGBTQ plus charities. That's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's stupid. 
So immediately I'm like, what is this show even? And then you have RuPaul making an entrance on a fucking cherry picker. It was dumb. Ugh. Right off the, I was so annoyed right off the bat. Okay. The cast though is great. From UK, we have Bag of Chips, Blue Hydrangea, Cheryl Hole, all from season one. All fan favorites. Um, I have no issues with this casting. From Holland, we have Janie Jacquet, who was the runner-up. No one was ever going to be Envy Peru. It's why I didn't like Holland season one. It was so boring to just watch Envy win every challenge. From Thailand, we have Pangina Heels. Again, very interesting. She was never on the show as a contestant. She was one of the hosts. So that's really interesting. Um, and then from Canada, we have Lemon and Jimbo. And from US, we have Jujubee again, and Monique Hart, who at some point this season is changing her name to Mo Hart. I don't know why, and I don't like it, but regardless, she's Monique in this first episode. So that's our cast. It's a great cast. Could they have gotten better US queens? Yeah, of course. Like, do we need to see Jujubee for a, f what, fourth time on Drag Race? Fifth time overall because she just did Queen of the Universe on Paramount Plus last month? Maybe not. Especially when she's giving what she gave in this episode, which was pretty much nooch, almost nothing. Um, she gave us another ballad that sounded very much like the one she gave us on All Stars 5. She gave us another little black dress in her entrance, which... Again, just like All-Stars 5. And then she gave us a really boring-ass hourglass sparkly dress for the runway. Don't, which was like season two all over again. Don't, we don't need this, Jujubee. Elevate your shit. You're now international fish. You're an international queen. Elevate it. Or say no. And let another American queen take your place. There are hundreds. I'm sure there are many who would like to be there over you. And I'm not going to get into individual critiques or whatever, because like, like I said, it, it really doesn't matter. Like, this is just exposure. I think this is great in some ways for the queens that are not from the UK, because people in the UK are going to get to see them, and maybe they haven't before. Because like, whereas probably a lot of you listening to this are not going to watch this because it's on WoW Presents Plus, and you're not going to subscribe to that to watch the show, same deal in the UK. To watch season 14 or American Drag Race, whatever, they have to subscribe to WoW Presents Plus. So I'm sure there are many queens who are watching this who are going to get first-time exposure, including the Drag Race Queen, including the Drag Race UK queens, because this is on BBC3, which this is the introduction to BBC3 being back on linear television in the UK. So I expect this to be like a big thing in the UK, but that's about it. And... I don't know, I guess the UK is like a big market for drag now. Like I've noticed a lot of the American queens who were on seasons that uh, aired during the pandemic. So like seasons 12 and 13, like Jan in particular, she has not done a single show in the US on her own, other than like bar gigs in New York. But she did a whole tour in the UK already. Like, it just seems like every time I see a queen that I want to go support live announce new shows, they're announcing them in the UK. So I guess the UK is like the big drag market now. And that's wonderful for these queens to like get that exposure and to go over there and cool. Um, you know, we have like on the West End that play Death Drop is running and get it closing and then rerunning again. And it's, you know, Willem was in it and Raja O'Hara and Latrice and Courtney Act. And now... Um, 
they just announced a new cast and i of course already forget who it's oh kitty scott claus is going to be one of them from uk season three and maybe jujubee i think i think it might be jujubee but regardless like there are opportunities over there so i'm glad they're getting these opportunities but like for the show itself the performances were were what they were the fashion was what it was i loved some of it i hated some of it but at the end of the day like my problem with this is that it doesn't matter except in that it is going to affect how these queens are perceived in the world later if that makes sense so like for the the challenge was to do a talent show and like bag of chips was terrible she did a whole number stomping around the stage with a backtrack of her own backing vocals just saying much better much better i'm much better and like it was just stupid it was stupid it was not well done and it wasn't like for me it wasn't stupid in an entertaining way which we'll get to jimbo in a second like what he did this was just baga being like it seems like lowest common denominator, no effort put into it. And that pissed me off. Like she walked in dressed like Princess Diana for entrance. I was like, I had a glow up. And then you go and do this talent, which is not a glow up. And then you also dress as an Oscar. So you say on the main stage and just look absolutely absurd. And like you bought a leotard at Party City, attached a piece of gold fabric to it, and then painted your face one color, no dimension. Like no contouring, nothing, just painted with gold paint. It was terrible. It was absolute garbage. And she should have been in the bottom for it. But she's Baga, and it's the UK is the host country, quote unquote. It's produced by the BBC, three. So she wasn't in the bottom. Cheryl Hole, same thing. Wasn't bad, but also just wasn't good. She did a little bit of a rap, kind of. Danced, kind of, lip synced to an original track and like danced a little bit around the stage. And then wore a really simple white dress with two giant star appliques on them and like it just wasn't exciting <coughs> excuse me it wasn't good it wasn't strong like maybe in a regular season of uk she might have that might have been great because like i'm sorry but a lot of the fashion on uk tends to be camp and this wasn't it was just very pretty but it just it was it seemed like there was no effort put into it and but then again i'll say when you find out what the prize is and all that why bother putting effort into it and then we have like Janie Jacquet from Holland who just took clothes off. Like her talent was apparently to have no talent. Jujubi, again, like I mentioned, doing the same old song and dance as usual. Monique Hart singing a terrible fucking gospel song off key. What the fuck was that? Pangina did a great lip sync, but again, it was a lip sync. Blue Hydrangea did this like thing that we've seen a million times, never on Drag Race, but a million times of like putting puppets on sticks so that whenever she moved the stick, they're all doing the same choreography and lip syncing to a very dirty song. I'm like, okay, that's funny. And I can understand why you would do that. Jimbo's the only one who took a risk. And it was like a performance art comedy kind of thing where he dressed up in this insane costume that looked like Roger from American Dad and threw ham on himself. <laughs> so fucking weird. Um, but like at least it was stupid, but it was stupid in a very entertaining way. Unlike Baga. So understandably in the top. So our top two were Jimbo and Pangina. I'm not really going to argue with that. Um, and then Lemon, who opened the show, did this crazy choreography. 
Um, and then did a reference to Aja on All Stars 3, where she jumped off of a platform into a split, which Aja did not do. Aja jumped off into a dip, which is one leg out, one leg tucked beneath you. So, like, re-watching All Stars 3, I'm like, oh, this actually isn't that impressive because she landed on the back foot first and then went into the death drop kind of thing. So, like, it looks cool right away, but then you look at it again, you're like, oh, actually, like, the thing wasn't that high. And you also landed on your foot and then eased yourself into the dip but okay so lemon jumped off of um a staircase into a split she wrote her own song she rapped to it she lip synced to it she danced to it i mean lemon is a dancer and and it was funny the lyrics were great the lyrics were very referential they were very funny there was an uh, like i'm gonna make you all sink like a party boat in puerto vallarta that shit was funny to me um and then I thought that she, the reference to Aja was great because she outdid it. She did, the stair was higher and she did it into a split. Like, I think that's what this whole thing was. The whole song was a bunch of drag race references. So why not also reference drag race in the performance and in the talent? It was her way basically saying like, my talent is to do this competition better. And I think she succeeded. I thought she was great. I thought she looked fucking amazing in her runway. And then somehow she's in the goddamn bottom for literally no reason. Literally no reason. Like, the judges tried to justify it, and it made no sense. They're like, we've seen this before. It's not original. While Jujube is singing almost literally the same song that she sang on All Stars 5 and wearing the same dress she wore on All Stars 5 and Season 2. Or that Cheryl Hole is up there lip-syncing to a diss track. Or the Bag of Chips is up there just going, Max Baa, over and over. Or that Janie Jacquet is doing burlesque, even though it's not really burlesque. Or that Monique is singing a damn gospel song. Like, we haven't heard that from her before. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just made no sense to say that this was unoriginal. When it, the whole point of it was that it was, quote unquote, unoriginal. It was referential. That was the entire point of this. Do you, it, like, it didn't make any sense. And then she's in the bottom with Janie, who was far and away the worst on, in the talent show. She didn't, she literally did almost nothing. And the reveals that she had for her, like, underneath of each other were awful. Like, there was no surprise factor. There was no ooh-ah. It was just, oh, 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 okay. Like, over and over. But then we get to the lip sync, which Jimbo royally fucks up, whether it's because he couldn't see because of his headpiece or he couldn't walk because of the, couldn't dance because of the giant platforms he was wearing or whatever it was, maybe it was intentionally thrown because again, there's no stakes here. Um, Pangina did decently in the lip sync. Like it was very literal, like doing what the lyrics said, which I'm not always a fan of when it comes to dancing and choreography, but she handily wins and chooses Lemon to go home. And I don't understand. First of all, this is not Pangina's fault. I get it. She felt a kinship with Janie because Janie's the only one from Holland and she's the only one from Thailand. Everyone else is like, oh, there's at least one other person representing your country and your franchise. So I understand that. I don't understand how Pangina could have looked at both of them and been like, Lemon was worse in the talent show. I don't know how she could look at them and be like, Lemon looked worse in the runway. So unless Pangina was doing a, I'm eliminating my competition type of thing, this elimination makes no sense. But again, it's not Pangina's fault. It is the show's fault for doing this boo-boo bullshit. Like, they tried to make Lemon's placement make sense, and it never did, and it never will. Because we watched the talent show. We watched everyone's talent show. We watched the critiques. We saw the runways. 
in no universe was this bottom two, let alone the absolute worst. Baga should have been in the bottom over Lemon. Cheryl could have been in the bottom over Lemon. Jujubee should have been in the bottom over Lemon. Like, Lemon, I thought when they called Lemon's name to stay on the runway that she was going to be in the top. And for her to then go home is infuriating. Like, I already despise <laughs> this show. Like, not only are there no stakes, not only are the producers clearly stepping in here to make some shit happen, like, they clearly wanted some tension between queens, like Jimbo and Lemon being the only Canada queens. They wanted the tension of, like, Jimbo, Lemon, um, Janie, and Pangina have never met Rue before, had never been critiqued by Rue because she doesn't host those series. They wanted that to play into this because, again, those are all of the queens that we met. Those are the queens in the top end. The queens in the bottom are the ones who've never met RuPaul before. Hmm. So, like, they clearly wanted that storyline. They just, the the manipulation is insane. And the fact that, like, Lemon did an interview afterwards saying that, like, after this happened, she stopped performing, rethought what she was doing, and was like, I honestly thought that I had no talent after this. Because, of course she would. Because you go up there and you do what Lemon did, and then you get eliminated, you have to be like, wow, I really have no clue if I'm actually good at this or not because I thought that was good and clearly it wasn't. No, it was. It was great. And the response online for the first time has been like 99.9% .9 of all the tweets and Instagram posts and stuff I've seen have been, what the fuck was that? How could Lemon possibly go home? So she can feel good about that is that for the first time, maybe ever, the consensus is the same amongst Drag Race fans, that like this is a decision that makes no sense. And to get Drag Race fans to agree on something is kind of like accomplishing world peace in my eyes. But the fact that Lemon went home on this episode is infuriating, is stupid. It makes it immediately makes me think that this whole show does not matter at all. Like I kind of was thinking that because like this, like to just watch this for fun, because there's clearly no reason for anyone to really try that hard. <laughs> Cause again, there's no prize. There's no real stakes. It's just like a fun way to get a bunch of Queens together for a TV show. And like, that's fine. That's great. Um, you know, who doesn't like to watch dragon on TV, but like, Lemon is one of my favorite Queens across any franchise ever. I think she's wonderful. I think she's very talented. I think she's hysterical. Um, her verse on Come Through on Priyanka's album is gay culture. If you don't know it, where have you been? Go stream Come Through by Priyanka featuring Lemon. Um, but having her go home this early cheapens the whole thing for me. Having none of the BBC queens, the UK queens in the bottom, when at least two of them could and maybe should have been in the bottom over Lemon, cheapens the whole thing for me. It... It confuses me. I, and it makes me mad. It, it does. Like as a fan of this show, when I see stupid decisions being made, when we can see through the production to what they're trying to do, when we can see through the intervention of production and judging and stuff to like fit a narrative that makes literally no sense to a viewer with what we're watching... I don't like that. I don't find that interesting or entertaining. I find it maddening. So immediately, 
I am, I'm not feeling the show the way that I want to, the way that I think that we should have for the first international all-stars. Like ever since Drag Race went to the UK, this is something that fans have wanted and have been clamoring for is bring these queens from these different countries together. Like they tour together, they do internet things together, they they podcast together, like have them on the same show, do crossovers. And then since UK, you know, we've gone all over the world and to then include countries that RuPaul doesn't even have her fingers in like Holland and Canada and Thailand. And then, you know, like there are so many more options for future seasons now that since this filmed, we have Down Under, we have Spain and we have Italy and then we have France coming soon. You know, we ha there are so many options and so much they could do with this. To then have it be this that we get and to right off the bat put such a bad taste in my and so many viewers' mouths is like a kick in the face. I don't like that. Sorry about it. But, I mean, I'm going to keep watching it, but like I'm already not invested. I already don't care. And that sucks. One episode of a franchise that we've been like praying and hoping for and we finally get after years of drag race and all that. And it's this, it's, it's now it's something that like, I kind of wish they hadn't done it already. And it's been one episode. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's disappointing, but it is airing every Tuesday on wow presents plus in the U S episodes drop at 4 PM because that's when they air live in the UK at nine. So you can watch it there if you are so inclined. I'm going to do a quick little rundown of some things that I have been watching that like I'm, I'm not all the way through and I don't really have like, I don't know, strong opinions or things that I want to say about them, but you know, whatever. Um, so I started Harlem on Amazon Prime, which came out in December and I, I like it so far. I'm, I'm only one or two episodes. I'm, I'm in the second episode at the moment. Um, and I, it's fun. So if you, if you don't know what the show is, it's kind of like a black sex in the city is one of the ways that it was being described. Um, it's kind of like an update of UPN's girlfriends from back in the day. It's very much like it's a 30 somethings group of female friends in New York, specifically Harlem, obviously who are kind of like navigating dating and work in their thirties and as their neighborhood gentrifies around them, which I thought was a really interesting concept for a TV show. I'm not completely sold on the execution of it. If only because it seems to want to be very progressive and liberal in its characterization of things like the main character is played by Megan Good and her name is Camille and she's um, a professor at Columbia and she teaches, I don't know, gender studies maybe or history and women's, I don't know. I, I'm very confused, but like everything is very vague so far. And as someone who works in academia, that's a little frustrating for what she does that it's so vague. Um, so like that's interesting but then they don't really seem to know how academia works at the same time. And then her other friends are like, there's uh, Ty who is owns a dating app for queer people of color. And 
that's really interesting to have this like perspective of a queer POC, but then the way her character is treated is very much like, well, I'm a mask woman, so I only date femme women. And like this, it is 2022, 2021 when this was made and came out. And like, we're still reducing lesbian relationships on TV to typical masculine feminine dynamics. And like, that is really, that's troubling in a way to me. And like in the first episode, she does try to break out of that um, by dating a masked woman or a butch, if you want to think of it that way. But the fact that, like, I don't know, the fact that she is, that this is even something that she's entertaining and that she like has this really progressive app that she's doing and like is giving her friends dating advice and that they're interacting in these ways. But then at the same time, she is feeding into these stereotypes of queer women is strange to me. I don't, I don't know. Then there's like, you know, the stereotypical lazy friend who doesn't work. Um, There's the friend who is doing online dating and, that is like has a new date every week. So they're kind of tired of hearing about her. And it's it's very much sex in the city. It is. And it's very much girlfriends. And it's it's uh 30-something. And I mean, think of any, it's how I met your mother, you know, like in in the ways that it's it's every single show that's about like contemporary dating life. It just that this happens to be one that's set in 2021 and set around a group of black women rather than around a group of white people, or rather than in I don't know, the 90s or rather than in the early 2000s or whatever, that it's 2021 and it's a group of black women. And it's really entertaining so far. Like, it's really funny and it's very breezy. You know, I like I'm on the second episode now and like I barely even realized that the that it was like on autoplay, you know, that like it went through so quickly. So I'm enjoying it. I wish it was just as progressive as I think it wants to be, which maybe it will develop into that over the next, you know, eight or nine episodes. So that's fine. Um, I'm going to keep up with that. So Harlem is on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, What else? I am halfway through Archive 81 on Netflix, and I hate it. I'm so annoyed with every person who told me to watch this, whether it is someone specifically I know who said you should be watching this, or if it's someone who was like, I'm watching this and I love it on Instagram or Twitter, or just generally like that it was so popular across the country for its first couple of weeks. I hate this show. I have no idea what it's about. I have no idea what's going on. It is slow as fucking molasses. I want to gouge my eyes out half the time. Nothing happens in any given episode until the last three minutes when they want you to tune into the next one. I can't stand it. Honest to God, what is this stupid fucking show about? It's supposed to be horror, but there's nothing scary about it. It's supposed to be like a thriller, but nothing is thrilling. It's supposed to be supernatural, but then they're like pussyfooting around it. Like, what the fuck is this show about? Again, I have watched four full episodes and this show is long. Like every episode is legit an hour. I've wasted four hours of my life and I have no idea what this show is. Can someone please get in my Twitter DMs or in my mentions and just tell me when the fuck this show gets good and what the fuck it is about? Because at the moment, I am so goddamn bored 
that not only do I not want to finish it, I want to unfollow and unfriend everyone who said that they liked this. I hate it. Archive 81, it's okay. So it's the show on Netflix. And I'm going to try to tell you my understanding of it is that it is about a person who is an archivist who loves old videos, VHSs and stuff. And he is hired by some company to live in isolation in the Catskills and digitize or update or, I don't know, like preserve or improve. I don't know all these old videos and he gets wrapped up in what's happening in the old videos. And so it's two timelines, but then is it two timelines? Because he starts to talk to people in the past and is trying to figure out what happened to the people in the video and how that's tied into like some corporation who does like DNA testing. And then there's like a demon on the videos. I'm so fucking confused. It doesn't make any sense. And there's a cult maybe where they just breathe a lot. This show makes no goddamn sense to me. It like, there is literally in episode two or three, I'm not sure which, I'm not exaggerating when I say like a five minute scene of a cult meeting where all they do is like Lamaze breathing. <laughs> For legit like five minutes. And everyone is stupid. Everyone makes dumb decisions. What is this show about? Is it about other dimensions? Is it about a rip in the time-space continuum? Is it about demons? Are they in hell? What is this show? I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And if you liked it, I am so sorry that you are stupid. <laughs> Not really, but really. I hate this show. I fucking hate it. I hate it. And everyone has been recommending it on the internets for a couple of weeks. And now here I am to be the contrary opinion to tell you this show is goddamn garbage. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. And also don't even bother looking up like recaps and stuff. Like the Wikipedia page for this is useless. I tried to go back and be like, I watched episode four today and I hadn't watched the show in probably about a week. So just to like remind myself of what was going on. I tried to read the synopses of on Wikipedia of the past couple episodes, and I watched those episodes and still have no idea what these synopses were supposed to be about. They're like naming characters. I'm like, who the fuck is that? When did that happen? I hate this show. It's terrible. I, I, it's not good. Don't watch it. What else? I'm also watching, um, this is us currently. And, I don't really like this season. It's the final season. And for being the final season, I kind of feel like it is very much dragging. Um, I feel like so many of these episodes have been throwaways, like standalones. Last week's episode, or the week before, I forget. Um, or, you know, by the time you listen to this. When Jack, like, it's an episode that takes enti place entirely in the past. And it's Jack going to his mother's funeral. We're going to visit his mom after she dies, visit her friend, basically going to Ohio to kind of like, cause his mom dies. That's it. That's the whole thing. And like, I don't remember them mentioning Jack's mom very often. So I don't really understand why we're doing this. Um, I just, I'm very confused by where they're going with this season because they seem to be like doing these bottle episodes. Like then the episode before that, again, I think was, Rebecca and Miguel and Nikki visiting this woman that Nikki had a moment with in 
the past. But it's in the present that they go to visit her. Like it doesn't, I, I don't, I don't really get the storytelling this season. Like it's the final season. We have 18 episodes. We have not answered any real questions about what is happening in the future with Rebecca, who I'm I'm still assuming it's Rebecca. I, I guess it's Rebecca who is dying on her deathbed and they're all meeting at this, you know, luxurious cabin in the woods, but it's like not a cabin. Um, you know, like adult Deja and the kids and all that, like who is there, what the circumstances are, who these people are. Like, we have not answered really any questions. They did answer who the woman pulling up in the car was, but it's a woman that we just met for the first time at the end of this Nikki episode. So clearly Nikki and her have some type of relationship at some point. Great. But like, okay, so it's a character that we still don't know. <laughs> Let's get to know her, bitch. Like, why are we doing an entire episode focused on Jack in the past? And, like, when we have all of these people we need to focus on. We haven't really gotten to the Kate and Toby of it. We know that they break up. We know that Kate gets remarried. When is that going to happen? Like, we're four or five episodes into this final season, and we're not really addressing these things that are, like, I'm at this point kind of worried that they're going to drag this out the whole season, and then we're going to get, like, one episode at the, the very last episode is going to be set in the future and they're going to like the whole thing is going to be exposition about like what happened in the preceding decade or whatever it is. I don't know if I want that. Um, so I'm a little worried about it. I, I was very cautiously, not cautiously. I was very optimistic at the end of last season because Dan Fogelman had this, ending in mind they had filmed so much of the ending like years ago when the kids were still young and when people still looked young and all that so like they have had a lot of this footage in the bank for a long time so i'm just very confused by why the storytelling is so slow this season like i mean i have faith in dan fogelman he he has not let me down i mean there was one week season i think it was season three um but overall i have faith in him as a storyteller and you know wrapping things up nicely and beautifully but like i just feel like the stakes should be higher for a final season of this show and so far they're just not um what else i i just discovered abbott elementary on abc which is on tuesday nights at nine o'clock on abc and streaming the next day on hulu it is very funny and i highly recommend it um i was going to do this at some point as a recommendation but whatever um go watch Abbott Elementary. Um, maybe I'll talk about it today as my as my recommendation instead. But I just discovered this and I love it. So stay tuned for recommendations. I'll talk about it there. Okay, coming up this week, again, the Olympics are on, so there's not a whole lot happening. But on Tuesday, the Jeopardy College Championship begins in prime time on ABC. On Wednesday, there's a new animated series debuting after South Park that's produced by Stephen Colbert called Fairview. On Thursday, the new season of Star Trek Discovery premieres on Paramount+. And the limited series The Girl Before drops on HBO Max. 
And Friday, we get season two on Hulu of Dollface, the Kat Denning show, and also the long-awaited second season of Love is Blind on Netflix. And then on Sunday, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so we're getting um, the Super Bowl, obviously, and then the uh, counter-programming of the Puppy Bowl, and Peacock is releasing the first three episodes of its dramatic reboot reimagining of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, this time called simply Bel-Air, and that looks um, very odd. <laughs> For finales, uh, Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus ends its first season, Below Deck finishes up on Bravo, and the second season of All Creatures Great and Small um, airs its second season finale on Sunday on PBS. Okay, so I was just talking in the former segment about my recommendation for the week, which is Abbott Elementary. Um, so I heard of the show when it first premiered. Obviously, I talked, I mentioned it on the podcast when it was premiering. Um, but I didn't really know much about what it was. And then I was listening to um, Race Chaser with Alaska and Willem, and Willem recommended it. Because he said it's he's from Philadelphia and it's based on elementary schools in Philadelphia and I am from the Philadelphia area. So I was like, oh, let me give this show a try. So I watched the first episode and it is hysterical. So the basic plot is that it's like an office Parks and Rec style like mockumentary format. And it follows this group of elementary school teachers in Philadelphia and they're at a public school that is very much underfunded. And it's kind of like a group of teachers that are very young and optimistic or very young and pessimistic. And then the older teachers that have kind of been doing this forever and know how things work and have kind of learned to tamp down their optimism and their new completely inept school principal who only got the job because she goes to church with the superintendent and found him having an affair at their church. So he gave her the job because she just needed one. And like, that's hysterical. Um, and it's just like learning how to deal with the students, with the odds that are stacked against them, um, the district's attitudes, the parents. Um, it's just, it's very funny, especially as a teacher, as a person who is friends with people who teach this exact age, you know, um, the the main character is Janine, who's played by Quinta Brunson, who also created the show and um, was a writer and actor on the first season of A Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO. She teaches second grade. My best friend teaches second grade. <laughs> um, and like, no, uh, what's her face? Uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph's character, Cheryl Lee Ralph, the Miss Cheryl Lee Ralph, Tony Award nominee Cheryl Lee Ralph. Um, she is one of the older seasoned teachers she teaches kindergarten that same friend used to teach kindergarten um and like i teach college in an urban setting in a building that is very much not uh, kept well <laughs> um so like i identify with this a lot um but it's so funny it's so smart the the cast is wonderful it's, I love that it follows, first of all, I love that it's set in Philadelphia. I feel like Philadelphia doesn't get enough play in things like movies and TV for being such a major city, probably because it's a piece of shit city, um, as can be evidenced by the uh, this series. Um, but I also like that it is an enti almost entirely black cast that is leading the show. I like that it feels improv, but isn't improv. I enjoy that 
kind that aspect of it. I, I love this cast so much. Lisa Ann Walter, Chessie from the 1998 Parent Trap is in it. And she plays like a South Philly Italian who, again, I identify with. Um, Chris Perfetti is Jacob, who is like the overly woke white history teacher. He's very funny. And like having the having a black writer's perspective on like a woke white man is interesting. And again, very funny to me. Um, Shirley Ralph is brilliant, as I said. Uh, Tyler James Williams is the male lead, probably best known as the title character on Everybody Hates Chris back in the day. Um, it's just like there are so many things that people from Philadelphia will identify with and find funny that maybe others won't, that teachers will find funny that maybe others won't, but that in general is just all around very funny. Like just as a workplace sitcom, it works very well. And I appreciate that like, Elementary school is such a ripe age and setting for comedy. And other than like kindergarten cop, <laughs> like I don't think it's explored in pretty much anything, at least that I know of. So I just, I, I find it very funny. Um, it airs at nine o'clock on Tuesday nights on ABC. And then it streams on Hulu. That's I caught up on Hulu. It's, I, I, again, I find it very amusing and it's doing relatively well. So that's encouraging. Um, like its audience has been consistently growing. That's great. Um, I mean, like I said, I think it's a, a voice and a perspective and a setting that we don't hear enough about. And I love that it is black created and starring black actors and, I think we need to encourage that, especially when the product is as great as this is. You know, like it's it's kind of the it stands out in ABC's comedy schedule. You know, like other than this, I, I think Blackish might be back. Is Blackish back? Blackish is back is back. It's airing with Ab Elementary. So we have like this one hour comedy block. That is the quote unquote black comedies, Abbott Elementary and Blackish, which is ending this season. But then on Wednesdays, we have the, the reboot of The Wonder Years, which is from a black perspective. But then it's The Goldbergs, The Connors, and Home Economics. So I like that ABC is really trying to branch out into sitcoms that are by and starring and meant for black audiences because there clearly is an audience for that. And I love that this particular show happens to be set in a city that I'm very familiar with and in a setting that I'm very familiar with. I enjoy that. Um, and I like that it is somewhat of a risk. So that's fun. Um, yeah. So again, I have elementary nine o'clock on Tuesdays on ABC and streaming on Hulu. All right. This was a long and, exhausting episode for me and probably for you to listen to. I apologize for being such a Debbie Downer negative Nancy. Um, hopefully next week I'll enjoy something. <laughs> so until then, thank you for tuning into this episode of Fake TV Critic. And I'll be back next week with more recaps, news, analyses, discussions on things that I probably have no business talking about <laughs> and more. I don't know how to end this episode. I literally forgot my sign off. Isn't it? It's literally just have a great week, everyone, isn't it? That's, that's it, yeah.
Have a great week, everyone.